0: One of the advantages of leading the service is that I can do it quickly and give myself a lot of time for preaching. And I'm just kidding, so don't take that too seriously. But today we turn once again to the subject of God is light. God is light. Uh, The Apostle John begins the heart of his letter with this marvelous and magnificent truth about God. John is often referred to as John the theologian because he makes certain declarations about God in his writings, in the Gospel of John, in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and also the book of Revelation. But one of the things that he tells us in the Gospel of John is that God is spirit. One of the things that he tells us in 1 John is that God is love. But in our text, John is telling us that God is light. And that might have many ramifications or many ideas, but in this context, it speaks of the fact that God is absolutely holy. That he is morally pure. That there is no darkness, no sin at all in him. Not a hint, not a trace. And that's why John can make the declaration in verse 5. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He stresses that. He emphasizes that. He talks about God being light in a positive sense and then a negative sense. Theology matters. Doctrine matters. What we believe about God matters. And John proves that in the verses that are before us. God is light is not just an intellectual truth that we need to grab hold of. God is light transforms how you live and how I am to live. And we saw last Sunday that the fact that God is light, that has ramifications for fellowship with God. And and we pointed out that that term fellowship means relationship. Not talking about food, not talking about eating, not even talking about intimacy. When, When John says that someone claims to have fellowship with God, That person is saying, I have a relationship with God. And John says, it's not enough to just say that you have fellowship with God. It's not enough to say, I'm a Christian. It's not enough to say, uh, uh, no, that I belong to God. It's not enough to say or to do different things. John is saying that our relationship with God is objective. And the evidence that you have a relationship with God, the evidence that I have a relationship with God, the evidence that we truly understand that God is light, is that we don't walk in darkness. That's what he said in verse 6. If a person says they have fellowship with God, and yet they walk in darkness. That is, they live their life in the realm of darkness. The realm that God has nothing at all to do with. Because in him, there is no darkness at all. Evidence of fellowship with God is that we walk in the light. As God himself is in the light. When God saves us, when there is genuine salvation, we are put into a new realm. We used to be in the domain of darkness. Now we're in the domain of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in the domain of light. And we are to live in that realm using God who is light as our standard, as our navigation system, as our model. That is, we seek to be obedient to the Word of God. It's not enough to say it. It's not enough to talk about it. Fellowship with God is demonstrated in that you walk in the light. You're living in this new realm, this new atmosphere, just like God is in the light. And when you do that, you give evidence that you're genuinely saved. Don't tell me what you're saying, John says. John says that the barometer is not what you say. If we say we have fellowship with God. John says the barometer is how you walk. And when you walk in the light, as God is in the light, the the result is you have fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. John says, it's hard for you to demonstrate to me and prove to me that you're a Christian, that you have a relationship with God, if you don't want to be with Christians. Christians. It doesn't matter how many warts they have, how many hang-ups they have, how many problems they have. John says, if you don't want to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ, it's hard for me to see that you have a vertical relationship with God. And I'll just make this plain. People who don't want to come to church, people who have deconstructed, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks, but people who basically said, I'm done with church. I'm done with Christianity. I'm done because I've been hurt. John says if you are done with the people of God, that's evidence that you don't have fellowship and a relationship with God. And not only that, John says when you have a relationship with God, when you have fellowship with God, you're not perfect. You do know that, I hope, that you're not perfect. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But we know we're not perfect. Why? Because John says one of the results of when you're having a relationship with God, when you walk in the light as he in the the light, one of the results is, as he says at the end of verse 7, that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I'm thankful that as a child of God, that there is the cleansing power of Jesus' blood. I'm thankful and I'm grateful that I I realize that I'm not perfect. And I'm I'm reminded of that every day. Since my wife is not in here, I can talk about how I was just reminded. Yesterday, glorious time at the men's conference, talking about the fear of God. Went home, took a nap, and knew I had some work to do for today. And my wife wanted to produce these wonderful invitations to the married couple for our sweetheart's thing. And she couldn't get it to work. And when she doesn't get something to work, she takes every avenue, every way to try to get it to work. I got a sermon to prepare. Don't be bothering me. (laughs) I got something important to do. But God just had to stop me. Put away your sermon. Put away your preparation. Go help your wife. But my sinfulness manifests. I I didn't want anything to do with it. And so I'm reminded. And so I'm thankful that that the blood of Jesus, God's son, continually, repeatedly cleanses me from all sin. I'm thankful for that. And, And so when you understand God is light, it has ramifications for fellowship our relationship with God. You don't walk in darkness, but instead you walk in the light as he, God himself, is in the light. But there's something else important about this doctrine, about this theology, that God is light. And that is, it has ramifications for sinfulness. And that's what I want to zero in on today. Just looking at verses 8 through 9. When we look at verse 8, there's another claim being made. And remember, I mentioned this. We come to our text and it says, if we say, we saw that in verse 6, If we say we have fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now we come to verse 8. Another if we say. Another claim coming out of a person's mouth. If we say. John doesn't take his finger and point it at you and say, if you say. Neither does John take his finger and point it at those who left the church that they once were a part of. And say, if they say. No, John takes his finger and points it at himself and others and says, If we say, that is, John says, even if I say this as an apostle, what I'm about to say applies to me. So it doesn't matter who it is who's saying it. What we need to keep in mind and before us is what is being said. It's not who is saying it, but what is being said. And what is it that is coming out of a person's mouth? John says, what comes out of this individual's mouth is that we have no sin. We have no sin. That's what the person is saying. We have no sin. In that Could mean a couple of things. Could mean that the person is saying that they have arrived in their walk with God, so that they're now above sin. They don't sin anymore. And there are those who sometimes say that. It could be that John is saying that we're not sinful. If we say, I'm not sinful, I'm not messed up. But John is saying, here is a person that said, I don't have, I don't possess this thing called sin. I don't have a sin nature. I don't have a sin principle. I kind of made it in life where I'm above that. And you might think it's bizarre. That someone would open their mouth and say, I do not have sin. But I remember, I was a member of a church in my early years of my Christian life. And this lady was a Sunday school teacher. And she used to say regularly that she doesn't sin. She was sinning right then and there. That she was saying that she was not sinful. And there are, quote, Christian denominations that teach a doctrine of perfectionism that you as a Christian can reach a certain level where you are now mature and perfect so that you don't sin. And you and I, we, we live in a world that tells us basically we're good, that we're okay, that we're not messed up and jacked up, but we're okay. So, so it's not really that bizarre for someone to say we have no sin or I have no sin. It's not as strange as it might seem. You read the sociology books and the psychology books and all other kind of books. And they will point out to you, "You're all right. You're okay. Yes, you have a few troubles, etc, But the reality is that you're not sinful. You're not sinful. What does John do with such a claim? If somebody says, "We have no sin," what does he do with that? John says, "Even if I say it, what's the assessment? He said that bold claim to say, I have no sin, is a bogus claim. You can say it as loud as you want. You can shout it from the rooftops, I have no sin. But John comes along and says, that is bogus. Now, for you to think that you do not possess sin or have sin, that you've reached some level in your walk with God, that you're above sin, John says that's bogus. He says in verse eight, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. The, the result of making such a bogus claim is. Self-deception. Deception. You're not deceiving God. You're not deceiving other people. You're not deceiving some uh, cult or whatever. You're deceiving yourself. If you have the audacity to say that you're good, that, that you're all right, if you have the audacity to say that there's nothing wrong with you, that somehow you've been walking with God long enough that you're beyond sin. John says, you're self-deceived. You're deceiving. You're not fooling or leading anyone else astray but yourself. And he goes on to say, the truth, the, the truth of God's word is not in you. It's not in you. That person is devoid of truth. Why? Because the Bible makes it clear, my friends, that we are sinners by nature. That we are, to use the biblical express, well, the theological expression, we are depraved. The Bible teaches human depravity. That all of us, men, women, boys, girls, doesn't matter what the color of your skin is, we're all jacked up. We're all messed up. Some to certain more, a greater degree than others. It doesn't say that all sin to the same level, but all of us sin some way, somehow. Our minds are darkened. The words that come out of our mouth are corrupt. Our actions are sinful and weak, wicked. The Bible declares the depravity of you and of me. And you and I are deceiving ourselves if we think we're okay with God, that we're not sinful. And and, and that's true whether you profess to be an unbeliever or whether you profess to be a believer. If you think and you say that you have no sin, John says, I can tell you right off, Even if those words would come out of my mouth, even if I were to write those words, John says, you are leading yourself astray. David declared in Psalm 14.3 the depravity of men. He said, they have all, not a few, not most, but they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Good as defined by God. We're not saying people don't do, quote, some good things, but, but they're not good in the eyes of God because it doesn't come through God. And Paul agrees heartily with this assessment in Romans chapter 3. Verse 10, he says, There is none righteous. No, not even you, and not even me. There is none righteous. The scriptures make it clear that we're sinful. And when a person denies that, they are guilty of deception, self deception, and the void of The truth. I don't know what mirror a person could be looking in to think that they're not sinful. they, They surely can't be looking into the Word of God. And they surely cannot be assessing things from the fact that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Because when they look, at their lives in light of who God is, holy God, perfect God, morally pure. They they must come away with the conclusion that they are wicked, evil, dirty, and filthy. My friends, that's why we need a Savior. Because we are jacked up. We are messed up. And the scripture doesn't pull any punches about that. That's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die on the cross and pay the penalty for your sins and my sins, that we might have eternal life, that we might be forgiven, that we might be cleansed, that we might be redeemed from our jacked up former life. Do you know? that you, if you say that you're not sinful, it's almost as if you're spitting in the face of Christ and saying, Christ, you came for no reason at all. I'm okay. I don't need you. I'm good. Hogwash. Hogwash. And so if you're without Christ today, If you're standing in your own, quote, goodness, you need salvation. You need salvation. You need to have your sins forgiven, past, present, and future. But but I want to say, even if you have been forgiven, even if you do have a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, You need to understand, and I need to understand, that we are sinful. Even as Christians, we're sinful. Our response is not that we come to God for salvation, to be forgiven all of our sins. Our response is different. And John talks about that in verse 9. I want to turn our attention away from the claim that denies sinfulness. If we say we have no sin and turn our attention now to the confession that affirms sinfulness. I want us to turn from if we say to if we confess. The, the genuine Christian. The person that's been saved by God doesn't deny his sinfulness. He affirms it. And the way that you and I affirm our sinfulness is through what we confess. And so in this well-known verse, John begins by saying, if we confess our sins. That's what Christians do. That's what Christians who are sinful do. They don't deny their sinfulness. They don't say, well, I've risen above my sinfulness. They don't say, well, I'm perfect and mature. I'm beyond sin. No, they confess their sins. And it's interesting, John doesn't say they confess sin. They confess individual sins. And to confess means to say the same thing that God says about your sin. It means to agree to say the same thing so that when I commit an act of sin, I'm saying the same thing about my act of sin that God says. And God doesn't say it was an excuse. I slipped. I slid. No, God calls it a sin. When I lie, it's a sin. When I'm guilty of pornography, or or when I'm guilty of adultery, or when I'm guilty of gossip, we don't sugarcoat it. We don't give it new names. Same-sex marriage is sinful marriage. A man married to a man It's not even recognized by God. A woman married to a woman is not recognized by God. That's sin. For, for a husband to be unfaithful to his wife, that is sin. Don't stand up and say, well, times have changed. We've been enlightened. We come so far. No, we come so backwards. Our depravity is manifesting itself. And so confessing of sin is to say the same thing about your sin that God says. And he calls it what it is, that you miss the mark, that you did not depend upon me. You have rebelled against me. In fact, John speaks of sin as rebellion. Taking your fist and putting it in the face of God and saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is rebellion. Sin is unrighteousness. And when I confess my sin, when a believer confesses their sin, it's more than just admitting that I've sinned. But according to Proverbs 28, 13, it's the confession is joined by forsaking. And you might want to write that down. Proverbs 28, 13, it's not enough just to confess. But it says those who confess and forsake. There's a joining of those two together. And obviously, this confession is to God, and you come before God. And not only do you say the same thing that God says about your sin, but the intent of your heart when you say those words is to forsake your sin. So, God, I am guilty. I have sinned in looking at pornography. And God, my commitment, and my intention in acknowledging that is that I will not ever, ever do it again. Now, you might do it an hour later. But the intention of real, genuine confession is that when you confess it, when you say the same thing that God says about it, the intent of your heart is that you forsake it. You are saying with your heart that I will not do this again. And God, I need your grace and your enablement to do that. God has given us examples in Scripture of those who have confessed their sins personally and corporately. David is a prime example of one who confessed his sin personally. He writes about it in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. After his sin of of adultery with Bathsheba. Sleeping with another man's wife. It took David a while, but God knows how to break us. If you belong to him and you think that you can just ignore sin sweeping under the rug, David thought that. Remember, he sent the prophet Nathan to him and gave David a little story. And the bottom line is, David, you are the man. You're on your high and holy horse, but you have sinned against God. And David writes about that in Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. But in Psalm 32, verse 5, he says, I acknowledged my sin To thee. He's talking to God. I acknowledged it. And my iniquity I I didn't hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. That's what individual confession of sin looks like. If you really want to see it, read Psalm 51. But but corporate confession. You and I, as a church, members of Fairview, we need to be confessing our sins corporately. We fall short as a church. We have members who don't want to come to the worship service. That sports and games and other things are more important. And we don't just simply look at them. We say we, as a church, as a membership, we have sinned against God. And so you read Nehemiah 9 and you read Daniel 9 and they confess the sins of the people of God. Daniel chapter 9 says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We, not me, we, have sinned. That's how Daniel begins his prayer. He he understands who God is. He's holy. He's righteous. He's compassionate. He's loving. But he comes and bows down before God and says, God, it's not just them. It's we. We are family. We have sinned. And he goes on to say, we have committed iniquity. We have acted wickedly. We have rebelled. We have turned aside from thy commandments and ordinances. We have not listened to thy servants, but the prophets. And in this prayer, he keeps saying, we have sinned. And it doesn't speak about sins in general. He gets graphic. We don't listen to the preaching of God's word. We do wicked things. And so the Christian understands that when he or she comes to 1 John 1.9, it's their responsibility to do what? Confess their sins. That's to be a regular part and routine of our lives. My former pastor, Pastor Roberts, used to call 1 John 1.9 the Christian washcloth. The washcloth. We need to be washing ourselves with the confession of sin on a regular basis, on an ongoing basis. We can't be denying sin. Some of you think it's bizarre that someone would have the words come out of their mouth that they say, I have not sinned. But, We might not say those words with our lips. We say those words with our lives. Do we regularly confess our sins? And I have to admit, a lot of times when I design the prayer sheets for Wednesday night Bible study, no confession of sin. A lot of times when we pray pastoral prayers and prayers to open, no confession of sin. So so we might not say it with our lips, but sometimes we say it with our lives. Is confessing sin a regular part of your prayer life? Do, do you wake up each and every day? Do you go to sleep each and every night and say, God, I'm sinful? God, I've fallen short. I've committed deeds of sin. Uh, 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 so, so what we got to do is confess our sins. we got to acknowledge our sins and not deny them. It's to be a regular part of our Christian life to confess our sins. John tells us what the results are of confessing your sins. Two marvelous results. First, our sins are forgiven. That's wonderful. To know that your sins can be forgiven. Doesn't matter how big or how small. Doesn't matter how many times you do the same old thing. Good news is that if you confess your sins and say the same thing that God says about your sins, Your sins can be forgiven. And he's saying that to Christians. He's saying, Christian, we need to recognize our sinfulness. We need to understand that our sinfulness can hinder, not change, it can hinder our relationship with God. All of our sins, past, present, and future have been forgiven. Nothing can change my relationship with God. It is sealed. It is done that I am a child of God. But the intimacy, the closeness, the enjoyment of God can be affected by personal sins. And so we want those sins not to be a barrier to that closeness. They need to be forgiven. Not for salvation's sake, for sanctification's sake, so to speak, for intimacy and relationship with God. And so John says one of the results of confessing your sins is this idea that you and I are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. But then he goes on to say, not only that, but at the end of verse 9, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleansing. Sin defiles, sin dirties. Sin make you mucky and ugly, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And you need the Christian washcloth. You need to confess your sins so that you're cleansed from all sin. So even as a Christian, I will sin. John is going to address what our attitude is. We shouldn't want to sin, but we can sin. And when we do sin, we need to confess our sins to God. Now, I want to end with something that is truly marvelous that I haven't mentioned, that I skipped right over. Can I really be sure that if I confess my sins, that I will be forgiven and cleansed from sin. It, it, it has nothing to do with the act of confession. So don't you dare leave this place and think, well, if I confess my sins, that that act gives me forgiveness of sins and cleansing from sin. no. That's why John says if we confess our sins, and he brings God in the picture, he is faithful and he is righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God recognizes the act of confession, and he does something that only he can do. Only he can forgive sin. The, the the Pharisees and the scribes, remember Mark 2, they got it right. They said only God can forgive sin. They just didn't understand that Jesus Christ is God. And Jesus Christ forgave that paralytic sin and told him, pick up your bed and walk as proof that I forgive sin. Only God forgives sin. And the wonderful news is, that when I come to God confessing my sins, whatever my sin might be, I might think it's a biggie. I might think it's small. I might think, well, I've done this sin so many times. Can God really forgive me? And John is saying, you can rely upon the character of God to forgive your sins. Not because of you or your intentions or anything. It's God's character that you can rely upon. And who is this God that forgives? He's faithful. He's dependable. He's reliable. You can put all of your eggs in His basket. And when you confess your sins, it's like you singing, great is thy faithfulness. Don't we sing that Uh, yesterday? You should have been here. I wanted to record it, but I didn't have my phone handy. But when the men were singing, great is thy faithfulness. Why do we forget that when it comes to confessing sin? When we rebel against God, When we fall short, why do we trick ourselves into thinking that God will not forgive my sin? God is faithful and dependable and reliable. You can count on him if you acknowledge your sin to him. And not only is he faithful, he's righteous. He's not ignoring your sin. He's not sweeping it under the rug. He's not turning his back toward your sin he's dealing with your sin because he dealt with your sin and my sin in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left its crimson stain. What did he do? He washed it white as snow. That's not just a salvation song. That is a song that when I confess my sin, I can know that God forgives me, that God cleanses me, that the guilt is gone, the freedom is there to live for God. I don't have to be weighed down and burdened down by sins that I've committed. Some of you can't even lift your head because of the sins that you have committed. And you're a child of God. And God is saying, come to me. Confess your sin. Let me do my part. You do your part. Confess your sin, and I, I will forgive you your sin. I will cleanse you, make you whiter than snow. And that's what we need to keep in mind. God is light. And that means that that theology says something about sinfulness. When you understand that God is light, then you don't claim or make a claim that denies your sinfulness. Instead, you confess your sins and that affirms your sinfulness. I'm a sinful man. If you knew all of my sins, you probably wouldn't listen to me. If I knew all of your sins, I probably wouldn't preach to you. I'd say there's no hope. <laughs> but, but God, I can come to God as a child of God who's been saved, who has put his or her trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And some of you are here And you're going to rely upon your so-called goodness. You think because of this thing or that thing or that sign or that sign that you're right with God. No, the evidence of genuine salvation is that you don't walk in darkness. You walk in the light as God is in the light. The evidence of genuine salvation is that you don't de- deny your sinfulness. You affirm it. And the way that you affirm it is that you and I take time on a regular basis to say the same thing about our sins that God says. And God says, I'll do the rest. You, you just say the right, thing, the same thing that I say. You just admit your sin and forsake your sin. I'll do the rest. I'll do the forgiving. I will do the cleansing. And we can walk in that freedom as children of God. We're not perfect. We sin. And when we sin, we confess our sins to the God who is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness. Next Lord's Day, we'll finish up this passage by looking at the whole issue of the ramifications that God is like when it comes to sinful acts. It might sound the same, so come next Sunday and see how it's different. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are that you are light, that you are faithful, that you are righteous. And Lord, help us to live in light of who you are. Help us to have a right view of sin. And particularly, Lord, open our eyes to see our sinfulness. Whether we're an unbeliever or a believer. Help us to see our depravity. Help us to see how everything in our life is affected by sin. And Father, for those of us who know you, for those of us who belong to you, we're sinful also. And you know that. And you've made provisions for our sinfulness and our sins. You sent your wonderful Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and to pay the penalty for all of our sins, to take our place. So, Father, may it be our regular practice that we acknowledge our sinfulness by confessing our sins. And thank you for the wonderful promise. All we have to do is confess and forsake, and it's all in your hands. You have promised that you will forgive us, that you will cleanse us. Oh God, I pray for those under the sound of my voice who need the washcloth of 1 John 1-9, whose feet are are dirty, even though they are a child of God. I pray that the washcloth of 1 John 1-9 will be applied to their feet and that they will experience freedom from sin and cleansing from sin. You are so good to us, and we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.